by the time I was a senior, I was, you know, ready to retire. My career was over and he just kind of sat me down and said, hey, I think you can make the Olympic trials in the marathon. You've got that like grittiness, that um, ability to long, like grind for a long time. And I just sat 100% faith in me. Like we were mentioning earlier, I was immediately bought in. At that same exact time, I had just graduated. I got my dream job offer from, a, I was gonna be a high school biology teacher. And I had just got a really great offer from a school I would have loved to teach at. And he certainly was not telling me, hey Dakota, give up this well-paying job to chase this dream that probably, you know, for most people doesn't ever end up paying off. But I just saw that faith and I was like, you know what? I have one life, I have one chance to chase this really crazy dream. And if it doesn't pay off, I'm gonna have zero regrets at the end of the day. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 89 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Dakota Linworm played hockey every free moment she had as a kid and dreamed of becoming a professional goalie. When her mom worried she was getting a little too obsessed, she told her she needed to add another sport to add balance. Lucky for us, Dakota chose running because she brings huge passion and joy to our sport. Dakota managed to rock the Macarena at mile 24 of Grandma's Marathon while defending her title and running a 2.25.01, the 12th fastest women's American marathon time ever. Dakota was a walk-on at Northern State where she had to convince her coach, Kevin Bjerke, to take a chance on her before becoming a two-time D2 All-American. He became her biggest advocate helped her to dream big, and convinced her she could make the Olympic trials as a marathoner. Next, Dakota connected with Minnesota Distance Elite Team and her current coach, Chris Lundstrom, who is now working with her to chase down even bigger dreams. We discuss key coaches' mentors, Andy Forbort, Kevin Bjerke, Chris Lundstrom, the gift of self-belief, biology teacher versus pursuing the dream, betting on herself, and convincing others to get on board. Howie Management, the Puma Deal, CIM Learnings, her first marathon finish, hitting an A standard, and running an OTQ at Grandma's, her Atlanta Olympic Trials experience, race day feels from a 225 marathon, mantras, what's next, and community service. What makes her easy to root for is Dakota loves to take big swings. When I toe the line, I dare greatly. I push the envelope every time and try to find the top end of my fitness. I give myself the best shot to have the best day, which means I have a lot of bad days, but all those bad days are worth one of these great days. Dakota's a rock star. I'm so grateful for the positive energy shared and the many great takeaways in this one. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Linworm, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Having you on at the most opportune time, man. Coming off back to back, grandma's crushing it. 
running a massive PR, 225.01, 12th fastest American. Like, oh my God, life is good. Are you on cloud nine right now? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm still on cloud nine. I mean, this is what, four days later, and I still don't think it's really sunk in, like who's, whose names I'm amongst in the record book. Yeah, you have to be pinching yourself. Um, and just really, like, is it real? Did it actually happen? Because for all the work, for all the miles, for all the effort that goes in, um, you're known to be somebody in the sport who takes a big swing and really goes after a race. But when you take those kind of big swings, you're going to fall down sometimes. You're not going to have your best race. You're going to struggle and maybe not be able to finish the job. So when you actually take that swing and you go deep and it actually happens, man, it's got to be, you know, it's hard to put into words, man. I mean, are you, have you been able to put it into words properly? I haven't like been able to go through all your posts and like really read, you know, what you've been putting out, or maybe you haven't even done an actual like full report on the race experience yet where you've actually like let everybody know what it was like. Yeah, I haven't really, I haven't really done like that type of post yet. And I think that's mostly because it still feels so surreal and also, it's, at the same time, while it feels really surreal and like like I'm still in cloud nine, it was also kind of expected. I've just been putting in really strong marathon block after marathon block. I've been really lucky. I should knock on wood. I haven't had any serious injuries. Um, and th this result was just, I was just knocking on this door for so long. Um, so it kind of feels like, well... A four minute PR is insane. And people are going to look at that and think like, wow, that's a huge breakthrough. It really, it really was supposed to happen. I knew that that was something that was possible. Um, so a little bit of me is kind of like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I knew that was going to happen. But like, of course, when it finally comes to fruition, it does, it does feel really good. Of course, because even if no matter how many great workouts you're able to string together and how many terrific cycles you put together back to back, which is the secret to anybody's, you know, true success in the sport. Um, anybody who's going to be a really competitive top uh, professional distance runner, it's cycle after cycle, it's build after build, tweaks and changes and adaptation. And you said the most important thing, trying to stay injury free is, is the singular hardest thing because it's in our nature to try to find the edges. It's in our nature to find out where are our limits in terms of how many miles can we actually handle? How many doubles can we handle? Or can I make my threshold workouts, you know, 10 seconds a mile faster? Would I be able to handle that amongst all the other stuff I'm doing? And, you know, you're thinking that way, your coach is thinking that way, or you're putting your heads together and thinking that way. And then each time you vary that equation a little, the risk level goes up to, you know, maybe I do get banged up or then maybe I don't get banged up. Maybe I make it to the start line healthy, but then maybe I'm flat on race day. So that's the whole, there's so many, so many variables. So you just really felt coming into this one, you were ready. It was coming together. You could feel something really big was going to happen. Yeah. I had run two, um, 69 minute halves. And I mean, I know those calculators aren't perfect. Um, they have them on like the Jack Daniels calculator. You can put in what a 69 minute half is, you know, equivalent in a marathon. And it was like a two twenty five. Um, those, I mean, they're not, especially the, when you make big jumps, like I think, uh, who knows what that might, five K should be indicative, uh, with a two twenty five marathon, but I would never be able to run whatever that 5k PR is supposed to be. But I knew I had just like these really great workouts where I was averaging about 531 a mile for like a marathon pace or a marathon effort. Um, and yeah, I think 
I just, I just knew that that was possible. I kept telling people I'd be really happy with a 226, but I thought I had a 225 in me. I will say I was pretty surprised that I was on track for a 224 for the majority of the race. I really let it fall apart in that last mile, which I mean, I was just really, really struggling. I was at my, my wits end at that point. I think if I had been a little smarter earlier in the race, I could have gotten those two seconds, but, um, you know, there's always going to be another mountain. Yeah. I mean, and no matter how, no matter what time we run, um, there's always going to be around, there's always seems to be a round number, no matter what it is, right? It's the four minute mile. It's a sub three hour marathon. It's, it's two thirty. It's so in this case, it's two twenty five. So two, two, 24, 58 would have obviously made you happier. That's just the way we are. Runners can't help ourselves. If, if we ever hit a square or round number, it's automatically like, Oh my God, I, I missed my two seconds. If I could have just done that, I would be so much happier. But the truth is, your 12th all time, which is really amazing company, like truly amazing company. Um, certainly for somebody who's come up, who was not, you know, an elite high school college runner who followed the traditional path, you know, that a lot of the professional women and men in the sport follow. So it's a unique story. Um, and I love unique stories. They're my specialty. So I love to share those and get into it because there's so much to learn um, from people like that. They're great case studies. And, uh, you know, it usually has something to do with a coach or a teacher or a mentor somewhere along the way. And yours does as well. Um, having an impact on a kid um, who maybe has no idea what sort of talent they actually have yet in this world. But, you know, that gift of self-belief of somebody just so strongly believing in you and something, your science ability, your art of ability, your history ability. And then, you know, in your case, it wasn't running until later. You know, it wasn't even really discovered until much later. But, you know, that kind of self-belief uh, when it comes to the forefront, it can really change us as people. Absolutely. Um, I'll never, ever be able to thank my college coach enough who just looked me in the eyes and said, Hey, I thought you could make the Olympic trials and the marathon. Um, that his just complete confidence in me. I didn't even know that that was really a thing. I, I mean, I knew about like, you know, Molly Huddle or Kara Goucher or Des Linden. Like I knew about those big names. I didn't realize there was just this whole group of, you know, like sub, you know, not even sub elites, but just like not, not the top names. And as soon as he kind of introduced me to this world and had just a hundred percent confidence in me, I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Even though I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, the cream of the crop coming out of college to be somebody who is the 12th fastest American ever. I mean, it's, it's just when, when you hear it and you say it out loud and then when you actually go all the way back, which we will do, we'll go all the way back to your high school days and, you know, coming up, you know, when you're really a hockey player and doing other sports, and had massive, huge love for hockey. Um, and maybe there's a little unbalance. We all connect and attach ourselves to a sport and maybe it's not always healthy, right? We're like so deeply passionate about it, you know, and then maybe a parent or a coach or even a teacher wants us to have a little more balance and recommends trying something else, which I've been a big fan of since I'm a kid. I'm, I see so much more specialization today in the world and I'm blessed to be a lot older at 60. I've seen a lot more things in my life, but you know, when I grew up, we were told to play all the sports, you know, we were encouraged to play all the sports. And then not only that, but also be involved, you know, do Boy Scouts, do other activities, do a lot of different things. Whereas today, so many of these kids, if they're any good at soccer, they're on 19 travel soccer teams. If they're good at lacrosse, they're on 19 travel lacrosse teams and they're playing internationally. It's wonderful exposure, but it's also a massive pressure cooker for kids that are so young to be like 
putting them into this mold of, you know, you're trying to think of yourself like this is your career path. You're going to be a pro. And you know what? You haven't even had a chance to like dip your toe in the water to other experiences athletically, or even maybe just from a club perspective, like doing other activities as a kid. So for you, you weren't in that kind of cauldron. You weren't in that, you know, I'm going to only follow this path. But if you had followed your dream, like because hockey was really more, you know, your like real passion, you could see how that could have happened where you might have just like been completely burned out and not even wanted to play any other sport. Maybe if you had just gone and continued on that path, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even so my freshman year, um, I was starting varsity for the, the hockey, the women's hockey team. And I had just these massive goals. I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to play in the NFL amongst men. And I, I would say I almost was, I mean, I all summer long, all spring, all fall, all winter, it was hockey, hockey, hockey. I came home from school and I was practicing hockey. I'd do my homework, practice more hockey. Um, All my friends were hockey players and I was obsessed. And so I kind of was in that like pressure cooker, not so much because my parents wanted me there, but because I loved it. Um, and I, I got, had a lot of success. So I think I got addicted to like that, that feeling of, oh, I'm, I'm something special in this sport. Um, so I definitely could see, I mean, I was, I think I was living it. Cause I, if I had a bad game, it was like, oh, my life is over. or My career is over. And my mom saw that and was like, you know, to like athletes, the greatest athletes are great at so many things. Like you have to take your pressure, this pressure off of hockey. Otherwise it's never going to be everything you want because you're going to get burned out like that. And I very, very vividly remember the moment of her saying, you've got to try a different sport. You have to sign up for something else. If you want to keep playing hockey, you have to do something else. Otherwise we're going to be done with it all because this is too much of an emotional roller coaster for you. And I cried and I threw fits <laughs> as a freshman in, in uh, high school. I thought she was trying to ruin my life. I thought, Oh, she doesn't believe in me. She, doesn't think I can do these really big things. And that wasn't the case at all. She was just trying to help me get there and um, take that pressure off of me that that was, you know, really bur- a big burden in my life um, that I didn't really see at the time because it's such an unhealthy relationship that, that you can have with a sport like that. What a great story to share. Um, because think about it now. And, you know, you're so young and just coming into your own and all, and you know, you're, you're just so young, you have so much of the world in front of you, but imagine how tough that must've been for your mom, because you, she knew how much you loved hockey, right? I mean, think about it as a parent. Those are the hardest things in the world to do as a parent, my God, to try to take away something that our kids love is just, it's crazy hard to do. I can tell you firsthand, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even want to approach a conversation like that or how to have a conversation. So God bless that she, you know, had the foresight, but also it wasn't like, no, you have to quit hockey. She gave you an alternative. She allowed you to kind of stay with the sport, but only if you were going to introduce something else. And the something else was running. It happened to be running. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I honestly actually wanted to go out for the tennis team pretty badly, but I showed up to like a practice just to kind of get a feel for the sport. Because, you know, tennis, that's good high hand-eye coordination. So I thought that's going to be great for my goalie career. Uh, and I found out they wore skirts. They had to wear skirts to practice and skirts to compete. And I'm not really like a skirt kind of girl. I'm not really like I didn't wear dresses. Didn't wear, I didn't really dress up. So I was immediately like, like no, I'm out. Um, that's not that's not me. But I kind of I don't really like being bad at things. I'm very competitive, which probably makes sense. But I was like, you know, I usually beat a lot of the boys in the mile. I always beat all of the girls in the mile in my gym class. So 
I must be pretty good at running. Um, so I went out for the track and field team. I remember that first practice vividly because I was by far the worst person on the team. I could barely keep up with everybody. Um, and I took last in plenty of races that freshman year. But I think I just, I don't like, there's no real, I can't really describe exactly why I fell in love with running because I was, I was bad at it and I wasn't having any success that freshman year, but there's such a social aspect to it where I made, I've made some of my lifelong friends by just going out every day and running with them. And, you know, you just, you start to see small successes because of what you're putting into it, um, where you don't really see that all the time with team sports. Um, so I ended up finishing that freshman year of track and being like, okay, how about cross country? Let's throw that on there too. And I, I ended up just really, really falling in love with it and seeing some success through high school for sure. But I was never really like an all-star, super successful. Beautiful. Um, and great experience shared. Um, but you, to take it the level that you did in hockey and become so for proficient and be on a really good team and be a top player and get addicted to that you know, winning and being at the top of your craft and being really good. So you have that kind of personality, you have that kind of drive and ambition. So even though you were last and struggling and you were probably really surprised, like, holy crap, because I, I won the mile, like I thought I'd be okay. So that's like a real like eye opener. It's a little bit of a shocker, but you have that kind of personality where you want to be good at things. Okay. You want to figure out how to be good at things. So um, it's not a surprise a lot of people might have like picked the next thing, like you said, tennis. I'm surprised you didn't go for golf, man, because a lot of hockey players are really good golfers, man. They got the eye-hand coordination, they got the swing, the rotation, power. They're really good golfers. Um, so I see that all the time. A lot of the NHL um, players are playing on like a lot of these uh, tournaments that are out there for like ex-NFL players and NBA players, and they all like play at Lake Tahoe every year. Um, but so you have the ability and desire to just like want to learn the craft and be good at things. So not coming out of the gate, not being a success right away. I mean, that kind of lights a fire anyway. So it's like, hey, wait a minute, let me see how much I can improve. So that has to be a good piece of it. Right. And, you know, in terms of just getting involved, you know, you're doing cross country, you're just kind of learning like what's going on with the sport. Um, did you have any events specifically that you were doing? Your cross country is obviously cross country, but um, did you do indoor or outdoor or was it just, you know, strictly cross country? Um, so for, for track, it was only outdoor. We didn't have an indoor track and field. Um, but I was a mile, two mile occasionally jumped into a four by eight, but those are basically my worst memories of running. So I, uh, I stuck to the mile and two mile when, when I could, um, but would jump into a four by eight when I had to. Yeah. If you were, if you were threatened and told you had yes. to, <laughs> otherwise yeah. you like try to hide from the coaches, you know? Yeah. yeah. When it's like time to pass the baton, it's like, no, I'm sorry. Um, she'll, she'll do it. She'll do the eight. Yeah, exactly. said me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good stuff for sure. And what was your high school coach like? Cause I know, um, you know, I think he had a pretty big influence on you too, in terms of belief and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. I had just, I always say I've had like the best coaches ever in my high school coach. Andy Forbore, he just kept it fun. Like there was never any sort of pressure of like, you've got a PR, you've got to see the success. It was always, we played games at practice. We had, um, we do like pursuit where you're like, you know, you're on two teams and you're chasing each other. Um, we did kickball. We honestly, even when we were doing workouts, he was cracking jokes and making you laugh. And it was such a low pressure situation, um, which I think is great for me because I think I didn't you know, feed into that, like, oh, I've got to be super successful. Like I felt in hockey. Um, 
And I think it just helped me fall in love with running. Um, if I had never reached out to my college coach, I still would have been a runner. I, I believe thoroughly to this day that if I hadn't uh, continued my career past high school, I'd still be going out to, to run because I just, I fell in love with it because of him making it so much fun for me. There's, there's such a great lesson in there. Um, you know, it's so many blessed to have runners on from just so many different ability levels, you know, pros like yourself who are awesome to come and join me and share their experiences. And then also just a lot of amateur runners and have interesting stories, overcoming cancer, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, you know, battling their way through and using running as a tool to help them get better in life or overcome, you know, challenges and difficult things. But um, if I've learned one thing, um, you know, coaching styles matter so much. Um, and ev everyone's so different. I mean, Dakota, we're all so different. Like me, I can take a taskmaster. I can take a really tough coach being in my face, yelling at me, whatever. As long as when I really do something well, he's still in my face saying, all right, Romano, you did it. You kicked ass. You crushed it. But he's got to do it both ways. Other people just can't handle intensity. Um, somebody being loud or, you know, pushy or aggressive or trying to get the most out of somebody with that kind of a forceful approach. And then there's the other side, the people like this, they kept it non-competitive. They kept it loose. They had you, but pursued and things like you're still running. It's like fart, like you're doing chase. Like, so you're still doing things that you want that can tell the coach, you know, who has some speed, who has some, maybe some distance gears, but he's doing it in a way that's going to keep everybody like chill and laid back. And it's just great to see the different styles can have an impact on somebody who's now killing it at the pro level, um, who connected with a coach like that, not somebody who is like trying to be like, you need to do this. Cause if you do this, you can get a scholarship to college and, you know, just such a very different approach. And, and, you know, here it worked really well for you guys and you connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, he had no reason to ever maybe even push me very hard in that like very pressurized situation because there was no reason to think, I mean, I think I placed that conference once, but never was close to, you know, making a state meet. never did anything that was, you know, worthy of a, a college coach reaching out. I didn't get a single recruitment letter. So I think for, for him, he was just trying to create a lifelong love for the activity so that we were, you know, having, we're going to lead healthy lifestyles for the rest of our lives. Obviously, you know, we, him and I have spoke, sense plenty of times. And he's like, I can't, I can't believe that this is how far you've come. Um, but it's, it's really, it was a perfect situation for me, um, to have such a low, low stress situation. Wonderful. And, uh, I've, I was going to ask you that. So you beat me to it, man. I was going to say, man, he's got to be damn proud of you today and you know what you've done. And, you know, I would imagine your high school has got to be like, wow, this is amazing. You know, my God, go girl, go Dakota, go get it. And then grandma's, I mean, it's Minnesota. I mean, so it's still, you know, it's, it's your roots, you know, it's where you grow up. Right. So it's like, it'd be like me winning New York city, you know, growing up around here. I mean, that's, it's not just that you're, you know, experiencing and killing it, but you're killing it somewhere where you grew up, somewhere, you know, where you're from. And that always means more, right? It has to mean more than, you know, maybe going to CIM. I'm sure you'd like to break the tape at CIM too, or at Boston, but it's got to mean a little more, you know, being from, from Minnesota, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's just like this extra gear in me at grandma's. There's just like, I want to just grind so much. I always want to win. I always want to really work hard, but 
I just have something extra up there. Um, and I think, you know, it's partially my family's all up there. It's an easy drive, just two hours away. Um, but yeah, it's like, I'm representing Minnesota in Minnesota. And it was such a big deal last year when I was the first Minnesotan to win. And I don't, I can't quite remember how long, but it was like 30 or 40 years. And everybody just made such a big deal out of that. So then this year it was like, you know what, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to defend my title. And I want to make them all feel that excitement again. Cause it wasn't just me winning. It felt like Minnesota winning and uh, it felt really good. Yeah. I mean, that is how it was. And that, I mean, honestly, that is how, it, I mean, that when the expression is always a favorite son, but obviously a favorite daughter or favorite, whatever the expression would be on the female side, but it's true. It's like, you know, people talk about that. He's from here. She's from here. It is more meaningful, man. The community does care that much more. I mean, this is one of our own is going out there, taking it out and winning the race. And to, to defend a title is always, it's just such a hard thing to do. I mean, for anybody, a team, for an individual, it's just hard. The pressure is just always there. And whether we put it on ourselves externally or we're feeling it and it's not even there, it just manifests itself in so many ways. Our workouts, we, we're putting too much pressure on ourselves to nail our workouts because I have to defend my title. I've got to win grandmas again. And you know, if you can take it the other way and it's not easy to do and say, hey, I've got all these people out here who are going to be rooting for me. I'm going to ride that wave and I'm not going to I'm not going to like let it eat me up on the inside. I mean, it had to be hard for you, you know, coming into it. I mean, were you like extra nervous, you know, just knowing because it was going to be a really competitive field that you were running against for sure. Right. Yeah. So I think um, right away when I didn't know the field, it was like, I don't really care. Like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to work really hard and hopefully I win. Um, as soon as I saw the field, I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to have to like actually work pretty hard. Cause last in 2021, I, I won by quite a bit, never had a female around me. But when I saw this field, I will say some, I like, I can't lie. Some of that pressure did try to sneak in and it was like, well, what if I don't win? Will, will people be disappointed? And um, I have, I feel like I've definitely had a healthier relationship with running than I ever had with hockey, but I've had those, those moments of just really a dark mindset of, oh, people are going to be disappointed. The people I love are going to be sad if I don't win. Um, but I think I've grown up enough and just had enough experience in the sport and have just realized my family loves me regardless of if I win or lose, um, Duluth is going to be excited when I come down into Canal Park, regardless of if I'm in first or last. Um, and it's just such a, I don't know why I just have so much fun in Duluth. I just have so much more fun at grandma's. It's such a low stress situation. Again, I'm not going to lie and say I never have those feelings of pressure, but I would say I'm able to fight them a little bit better up there. And like I said, like my, my family loves me regardless, of course we were all talking a week before the race about how I'm going to win. But the, at the end of the day, if I didn't win, they would have been just as proud as long as I gave it my all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an important message because it, you don't have to be a pro like yourself, you know, sponsored by Puma now. And we'll talk about your sponsorship deal and all that um, later. Cause it's such an awesome thing for you, you know, signing with them and getting connected with the brand and they're really investing in women's running and really getting behind it. And, Signing some some male pros as well. I had a, you know, Rory Linkletter on last week, and they're signed a, bu a bunch of people and really committing and getting involved with the sport. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, your coach is still going to love you, your family is still going to love you, your friends and your training partners they're going to love you. Um, 
we're going to, we're going to put the best uh, version of ourselves out there that we can. That's all we can do. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we can be our own worst enemies. You know, we really can. And, you know, that's an important piece for you as a young pro to work on. I mean, every pro has to work on it. Every amateur has to work on it. And our mindset, our mental game is sometimes more important than our physical uh, game, you know, because when those moments come and they will come and they will come multiple times and you're going to take us through the race and we're going to find out if any of them came for you at some point or, you know, what you were feeling out there, because it's how we manage those moments. Like, can we just make it through, you know, that section, that patch, if it's five minutes, you know, counting backwards or get me to the next section or the next intersection or some spot where hopefully I can just get myself out of this spot that I'm in. And then, you know, we, we seem to like get, be able to get ourselves back, you know, back to our baseline, if you will. So, um, yeah, your mindset stuff, whatever you you can do to work on that, you know, it's just, it's just so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the biggest tool is like when you think about what other people are for me, somebody who's competitive and trying to, you know, compete amongst other women. Um, I think, well, we're all going to go out. We're going to all do our runs. We're going to all go out and do the workouts that our coach told us to. So how am I going to find ways to get better than everybody else? And I think mindset is a huge one and just being able to capitalize on, you know, harder situations and being able to stay positive and tough times. Um, that's going to be kind of that little extra thing that I have that makes me a little bit better than the next woman. Good for you. If, if it works for Kipchoge, I think it can work for all of us. He reads more self-help books and more books on mindset and positivity than like anyone and talks about it all the time. And everybody always wants to talk about his training and what is he doing? But I think that's why he is who he is, that he, in the, the hardest parts of the race, you know, when it's 30 or 35K in, you know, in Tokyo and the heat is melting everyone else. That's when he's dropping as fast as 5k and he's at the finish line smiling. Like he just, you know, won an election in the office, you know, and all the other runners are like down on the ground cramping. <laughs> They're like completely crushed, but, um, mindset for sure. Um, in addition to, you know, as you continue to push yourself physically and, and again, working on the edges, that's what, every good coach is, is going to be exploring and doing that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your college coach. Cause you know, your high school coach, Andy was really key getting you involved at college. I mean, it wasn't even a guarantee you were ever going to be able to run on the team. It was fact, if anything, it was a huge long shot. So tell, tell that story a little bit. Cause I know that's a big, a big piece of your story for sure. Yeah. So, um, I believe I was a junior in high school, maybe, um, might've been the summer, going into my senior year, I filled out and I heard about this college, Northern State University. I had a friend who was going there. Um, her and I were best friends and I was like, oh, I'll go check it out. They have a cross country and a track team. Let me fill out this, you know, form that's like, just gives some basic information like PRs to the coach. Um, and about 10 minutes later, the coach actually called me and was like, hey, you know, if you come out for a visit, great. I'll, I'll definitely meet you. Um, but if you don't, whatever, it wasn't, it was not like a hard pursuit all of a sudden that it wasn't like, oh, this is a diamond in the rough. Can't wait to get her on the team. Um, ended up going out to tour it. I really loved the school for like a plenty of reasons. It's a small division two school. You could walk anywhere on campus within five minutes um, and met with Kevin Bierke. Um, it was a pretty short meeting. I was just kind of like, hey, here I am. He I was really grateful. He took, you know, five minutes out of his time to just meet me. And I was, I 
I hope that I, uh, I'd like to actually talk to him again about like that first meeting. Cause I'd like to hear his perspective, but I was just like, Hey, I'll work really hard. I understand. I'm not great. Um, but I love to run and I'll, I'll work hard. And he, um, emailed me on my way home and was like, yeah, we, we love to have you as a walk on. And to me, as somebody who wasn't super successful in high school, I, you may have, he may as well have told me I was going to get a full ride scholarship. I was so excited. I remember celebrating with my family. Like that was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, and he, again, wasn't really a high pressure type of coach. It wasn't, you know, he wanted you to do the work and I certainly did the work for him. Um, but it was never like, oh, you've got to go out and you've got to PR. He never put any sort of real pressure on me, which I think also comes from the fact that I wasn't somebody who should have had a lot of pressure. I was just kind of just trying to, you know, make the small improvements. But by the time I was a sophomore, I was cutting minutes off of my 10K PR every time I would run. And I still, to this day, can remember in a track meeting him, we would have these meetings where we would just kind of acknowledge who raced well that last weekend. And he said, oh, Dakota took you know, two more minutes off her 10K PR. If she keeps doing this, she's going to be an Olympian soon. And it was a joke. It was certainly a joke at that time, but it was kind of like, maybe I can keep doing this. And that was a small fire that he lit. But by the time I was a senior, I was, you know, ready to retire. My career was over and I had, I was a two-time All-American. I had qualified for national five times, nationals five times, but again, didn't do anything super great. Um, my times weren't superb, but he just kind of sat me down and said, Hey, I think you can make the Olympic trials in the marathon. You've got that like grittiness, that, um, ability to long, like grind for a long time. And I just had a hundred percent faith in me. Like we were mentioning earlier, I was immediately bought in. I was like, okay, let's do this. How do I, I remember like the next day I came in with a notepad and like, tell me everything I need to know. What's step one. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and you know, that, that's sometimes that's all it takes, you know, it just takes someone believing in us at that level. Uh, and then it's like the spark is lit. It's it, it's, it can't be extinguished. Um, it won't be extinguished. Like, it's like, okay, what do I need to do? You know, you got your pad and paper, you know, give me the plan, write it out for me. Let's go, let's get to work. Um, yeah. And the funny, funny thing to look back at is he definitely at that same exact time I was, I had just graduated. I got my dream job offer from, a, I was going to be a high school biology teacher. And I just got a really great offer from a school I would have loved to teach at. And he certainly was not telling me, hey, Dakota, give up this well-paying job to chase this dream that probably, you know, for most people doesn't ever end up paying off. But I just saw that faith and I was like, you know what? I have one life. I have one chance to chase this really crazy dream. And if it doesn't pay off, I'm going to have zero regrets at the end of the day. Um, so I, I also had to take a pretty big chance on myself uh, in that moment. Hell yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a huge chance, man. It's, a, it's taking the big swing again, man. Just like you wrote about in your post, because, you know, a lot of people would just say, okay, whatever, running's over. It's not over. I'm going to run forever, but I'm not going to, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do with this thing? How am I going to make a living as a runner? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. And I went to school, I'm going to be a biology teacher. That makes sense. But there's that small percentage of people that just say, no way. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to take this chance. I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to do whatever it takes 
to try to fulfill this dream and see if it can, you know, if I can manifest this thing, can I make it actually happen? So, you know, what did you write down in your notes when you had your talk with it? Like what, what stuff did you write down? Do you remember it? Do you, do you still have it? Or is it something you, uh, you know, you I have wonder a, if I, yeah. I still have it. I'm <laughs> sure I still have it. I don't throw anything away, but um, we just talked about mostly about Minnesota distance elite. He had a connection. He a former teammate of his ran for the team I currently run for. And he had a connection with the coach, Chris Lundstrom, who I am now coached by. And he just kind of gave me the 411 on like, I didn't even realize that there were these USATF championship races, like the, you know, the 25K, the 20K, the half marathon. Um, and he was just trying to, he just gave me some of this information on, you know, and letting me know like, oh, you don't have to be a Des Linden to make the Olympic trials. Plenty of women, as we saw in 2020, plenty of women make the Olympic trials. Um, and I had no idea about any of that. So basically, he was just filling me in on what I should have already known. And then also trying to help me get connected with Minnesota Distance Elite. Um, and shortly after that meeting, him and I both sent out emails to Chris Lundstrom and Pat Goodwin, who founded the team. Um, basically saying the same things I had to say to him four years earlier. Like, hey, I know I'm not where you want me to be right now, but I'll work really hard and I want to, I'm going to do this, whether you're going to help support me or not. So you should just get on, get on the board here. I love it. Your elevator pitch is the same. It's you, you have the same one from high school to college and from college to uh, Minnesota distance and the Chris Lundstrom. It's the same one. You just have to repackage yeah. it a little, you know, yeah. and base. Yeah. And now, and now you're gaining a little confidence. So yeah, you just have to get on board. Like in the beginning, you probably would not have even, you know, you wouldn't have had that, but now you're getting a little more confidence in yourself. And uh, yeah, I mean, so if by no means was this like you were being approached from the other side, you know, you're still continuing to go out and, you know, approach these things, like chase these things. And I think that's a great message because, you know, people just think all these doors open in our lives. They don't, they, you know, yeah, they might open, but you've got to knock a hundred times. You might have to knock 500 times and you might have to ask everyone, you know, and maybe you get lucky. Maybe you only have to ask your high school coach who might help you to connect you with your college coach. And then maybe your college coach cares enough about you and, and really believes in you enough. So he, Gets, sits down with you and gives you a little bit of a blueprint and tells you about the USATF races and tells you you don't have to be at Dez's level. Correct. All of these things are correct. But still, he didn't have to do any of those things. He did. All right. But you are the other piece of the puzzle. You have to do this stuff, man. You got to do the work. It's not just about the miles and the workouts and who you're going to train with. It's like, you got to promote yourself. You got to get out there and figure out, okay, what do I need to do to make this actually happen? So, you know, kudos to you because you had your path, you had the biology teacher path lead out to the right and you went to the left or you went, maybe it was the other way around. Maybe the biology path was left and you went running to the right, whichever. I don't know if you're lefty or righty, but whichever you are, you know, you probably picked your dominant side and said, I'm going, I'm <laughs> going, I'm going, I'm going this way. So, so that's how you transition to get connected with this team, you know, Minnesota uh, Distance Elite, and then working with Chris. And uh, how long have you guys been working together now? We started working together in, it'd be about 2018, um, like December of, or uh, January of 2018. So um, I joined the team originally as a training partner. So the team itself uh, does have a stipend that it gives its athletes and has support as far as like chiropractors and um, PTs and training facilities, but I was just a training partner. So I didn't get any of those extra things. I basically just got 
um, the coaching by Chris and I got to show up to practice and uh, I'll use quotes since you can't see me train with the other ladies, but I was really training far behind the other women. <laughs> um, I was just trying to hold on for dear life. And most of the times uh, not really doing that very well, but um, eventually just started slowly kind of built like closing those gaps between myself and the other women. Um, and at and a year later, then joined the team as an actual teammate. They they finally brought me on, um, which was great. So you had to earn your place, man. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And I yes, guarantee- I had to bet on myself again. <laughs> yeah. But I guarantee you, that's the way you wanted it to be. You don't want anybody yeah. to say, here's your, here's your spot, Dakota. And, and in the beginning, you know, how did it feel? Like, I mean- I mean, think about it. You know, you won the mile races all the way back in like grade school, but then you show up at track and you're getting your ass kicked. So it's not like you showed up and you were like wiping everybody out. So it was in that situation. Things have evolved a lot, but now you're chasing people again and hanging on for dear life. I mean, mentally, like I know I could just feel that you have that mindset. Like, you know, you're not going to get discouraged. You're just going to be like, I'm going to hang on to these chicks. I'm going to, I'm going to cut this gap and I'm going to close the gap. But tell me in your own words, like, what was it like when you first were in the back again, or I mean, not the back, but just, you know, having to hang on, let's say, you know, just to really, you know, try to, you know, get fit, you know, be fit enough, let's say. Yeah. It's a hard transition because by the time I was a senior in college, I was, you know, one of the best, I was the best on the team. So then it was, again, that that being at the bottom and being having to just be gritty all over again and just saying, I I can't be embarrassed that I'm all the way back here. This is where I'm at right now. But in a year, I want to be up there. And you just have to have like, I had to have that long-term scope of tomorrow when I go to practice, I'm not going to be able to run with, you know, um, Megan Payton or Katie Germain. But in six months, maybe I'll be able to see them in the workout. You know, maybe I'll be able to have my eyes on them. And in a year, maybe I can run with them. And I just had to continue to just bet on myself and say, Hey, if I keep working hard, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be up there with them. It just is, I'm just not there yet. Yeah. But that's a unique mindset. And you should know that about yourself. I mean, this is the truth. I mean, very few people would look at it in that way. A lot of people would just be like, oh my God, I'm getting my ass kicked. I can't even hang with these chicks. What am I doing out here? Or, or you know, am I really going to be able to like close this gap down? So you obviously have like strong belief in your in yourself, you know, that you will you will grind, you will battle, you will keep fighting to to improve, to do what it takes to get yourself like to that next level. So these are natural evolutions. You know, you're, you made it back to being on top in college after not even thinking that was realistic. I mean, you're a walk on. I mean, you, you know, when you're starting and you're cutting a couple of minutes in your 10 K times every race, I mean, that's crazy. Um, to go from there and leaving on top and then, you know, you're in the back again. So, um, but I also think that's good. That's good for us, man. We need to be humble. We need to see again that there's separation, there's levels. Okay. And then it lets us know like, okay, wow, how much of a gap is there here? And then how do I actually go about closing this gap? Like what, what tools do I have? So at this point, are you like having those kind of conversations with Chris or is it even just just letting it all kind of come together, like slowly, naturally, you know, evolving, you're getting faster, you're getting fitter, and you're just like kind of making it happen on your own. I think it was kind of like a natural thing right away. Um, in December of 2018, I'd been working with Chris for about a year and I did CIM 
to as my debut marathon. And I did not finish that race. Unfortunately, I ended up throwing up, um, had some pretty bad cramps and I was dizzy and just, just couldn't, couldn't get there at mile 20. I just didn't have it in me. And I remember just being, I just so incredibly embarrassed, not only because I fell so short of my goals and fell off pace. So, so roughly, but just because I gave up and I just didn't, I didn't feel like I had given everything of myself on that day. And it was like in that moment, actually, I cried to my mom in the airport shamelessly, um, publicly just bawling my eyes out, telling her how embarrassed I was and kind of telling her like, Hey, I don't know if I got, I don't know if I have this because I just want to be clear and be completely candid and honest. I'm not perfect hundred percent of the time. I don't have that belief in myself hundred percent of the time, but I have a tribe around me, like my mom and my dad and my grandparents in that moment in the airport, she said, no, you can do this. You're going to do it again. You had this one bad day, but that doesn't mean it's a bad career. You're going to get on the starting line again. And she, she basically took, was not going to take no for an answer. So kind of collected myself, got myself back together and I trained a lot harder. And I think I, after CIM started doing a lot more of the extra things like, um, focusing on my sleep, focusing on doing my core and being really um, thoughtful about how I was strength training, not just like getting in and out of the gym as fast as possible, but really being just very mindful of every um, exercise I was doing and how that was going to help me in the long term. Um, so I actually think that having that really big failure at CIM and really, really having a hard day there um, pushed me to to find more success because I knew I realized in that moment that I had to work a lot harder than I was. Well, there's a lot of learnings in there to unpack for sure. Um, not just the physical uh, part of it, you know, a crash and burn can happen to anyone, any place, any time. And for a ton of reasons, I mean, it can be fueling. You said you're getting sick. I mean, it can be electrolytes. It can be salt. It can be a thousand, you know, literally a thousand, you know, contributing factors. All right. But for whatever reason, that comes when we step off again, it has an impact on us. Okay. It leaves a mark and it either leaves the kind of mark that says this is never fucking happening to me again, ever, <laughs> yeah. ever, ever. Okay. I don't care if I'm crawling or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not talking about broken bones and all, I'm not advocating any of that kind of craziness. Just saying like, when we can finish, we should, when we can't, we can't, but when we can't or don't, or maybe we could, but we just, took that other way out. We're all allowed to do it. I've done it. I mean, I ran uh, just just for my own little thing. It's the only race I ever dropped out of in my own life. I was frozen. I had like frostbite and I was running, uh, trying to think, Columbus, Columbus, and ran coincidentally at mile 22 right past my hotel. Like, I mean, it wasn't even in my thought pattern. It wasn't even considering it. I literally got to the hotel. It was there on my right. And I literally ran through the you know, the circular doors, you know, and just like went right into the elevator and went upstairs. Like I wasn't even thinking about it. I just knew I wasn't going to break 240, which at the time was what I was gunning for. And I was like, you know, I had four more miles to go into the wind and I was frozen. I'm like, I'm out of here. And I did it. But I, I beat myself up pretty good for that, you know, and you know, I'm long ago gave myself, you know, forgiveness for it, but I learned a lot that day. So you needed to talk to your mom, your dad, the other people that, you know, really matter that when you question, you know, whether you had enough to do this or enough grit, you, we all have a tribe. We need a tribe. We can't do any of this stuff on our own. We need a coach. 
We need a massage therapist, a, a sports Cairo. Um, we need our training partners. We need all of the people around us. Hell, man, we need our followers on Instagram to you know, bring us the love and the joy when we had a shitty race or a shitty workout or to share in our freaking grandest moment when you run a 22501 <laughs> and yeah. you're the repeat champion and you're 12 fastest. Like how hollow would it be if we didn't get to share it with those other people? But when we have that moment of weakness or darkness or questioning ourselves or doubting ourselves, that's when we got to have to circle the wagons, man. I call it the circle the wagons, man. That's <laughs> what it is. It's circle the yeah. wagons. So your family got your back. You know, and then, but you, you're making the right choices. You're realizing, hey, I'm not doing this the way I need to be doing it. I need to take this other stuff seriously. Yeah, you do. You know, you don't have to be 60 to get injured and running. You don't have to be 40 or 50. You can be 20 or 25 or 28. Um, stress fractures can come for anybody. Muscle imbalances, weaknesses, um, sleep, nutrition, you know, there's just, just a myriad of things that are out there that we can actually control that contribute to how well, you know, we're going to race or be able to handle. Um, so it was your first one. It's a hell of a first experience, but to me, you learn so much from it. Oh yeah. I mean, in that moment and even thinking back, I just hate that I dropped out, but like, it's such a blessing because I know that because I've fell and crashed so hard there that I'm here because I, I learned I need to give it 110% every single day. I'm, there's not a day now that goes by that I'm not looking myself in the mirror and saying, Hey, what did I do today? That got me closer to my goals. Every single morning I wake up and I say, Hey, what am I doing today? What's what's on the agenda? How am I going to take another step closer to being better than I was yesterday? There it is. That's it. I mean, it's the man in the mirror. I mean, you got the man in the arena right behind you for everybody at home. We know you're a big TR fan, Teddy Roosevelt, man. So we love that. Um, but uh, really, uh, one thing I do, you, do you follow Goggins? Are you a Goggins person? Do you know David Goggins or? I, I do know of him, but no, I, I guess I don't follow him too, too closely. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, every, there's just so many people out there in this giant ecosystem, you know, but just his story is just so amazing. And, um, you know, it's just like really about, you know, hardcore, uh, you know, every race, you know, taking it apart, you know, truly studying it, you know, like who, who knows better than you if you really gave your best effort out there, there is no one else who knows better than you. Um, and if you gave even more than you thought you had, like, that's what, that's what a log is for. That's not what Instagram is for or Facebook or Strava. That's what a log is for because to write a true reflection, and I even implore you yourself, it's still so fresh, write it down maybe today, tonight, a week from now, write down more because as a couple of weeks go by, every little detail of that race is going to, not all of it, but big parts of it are going to vanish and they'll be gone if you don't write it down. So I, I want you to journal it for yourself because it's a big moment. It's a big stepping stone moment for you. Um, and it's part of your, it's part of your path. It's part of your journey. And I, I think it'll help you to be able to look back on that and say, wow, this is what I was doing. This is what I was feeling, you know, in the lead up, in the build up, and then actually in the race. Absolutely. Those are great tools. And that's like great advice for, for everybody, not just, you know, us elites. Everybody should should do that for sure. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, you know, for anybody out here who's doing their runs and qualifying for Boston or a lot of people listening to my show are also coaches, you know, they run themselves and they coach. And it is great advice because, you know, we need to write that stuff down. 
Um, and it's not just your pace per mile and your average heart rate and all the other analytical data stuff. Like, what the hell were you feeling out there? Like, what was it like? You know, sure, how many gels did you take and all the other stuff? But, you know, what were you feeling? You know, did you really push it down as hard as you could? Did you come to the edge of the edge of the road at some point? Or no, maybe maybe you held a little bit back, you know, and, and we all have scar tissue from races. Every single one of us do. So, um, you know, it's cool that your first one <laughs> was where a lot of yours was formed. Um, and, you know, it could have been very easy for you to just say, you know what, the marathon isn't for me. I don't want to do this distance. I'm going to I'm going to kick ass in the half marathon, you know. So, again, a lot of people, when they hit a huge bump in the road or run into an obstacle, they just go the other way and say, eh, I don't know if this is for me. So kudos for kudos for sticking in there. So um, so let's get to um, your first grandma's. You know, I know the second one is the big one, but your first one was really meaningful moment. It was big for you, you know, because of the whole family involvement and, you know, qualifying for your first Olympic trials qualifier, you know, having your mom there, all of those things. Like talk about that a little bit, because it is a huge deal. Absolutely. So that was in 20, 2019 then. Um, so about six months later after that big crash and burn at CIM. And that was the first time I think I really realized how big of an impact your mindset has on you. I went into, I always have a mantra going into a race and it's always, I am strong. I am fast. My speed will last. But I also had read a book by Ryan Hall, run the mile you're in. He has a quote in there that says you should be, um, free of failure and full of courage. So I, I remember standing on that starting line thinking at the end of the day, my family loves me. Like we were saying before, I've got a tribe of people around me who, if this doesn't go as planned, they're still going to care about me. They're going to love me. They're going to cheer me on for the next one when I try again, regardless of what happens here. And I remember that was also kind of the first time I ran a race and just had fun, decided that, you know, obviously I'm working hard and being competitive and I want to hit a certain pace. But every time I saw my dad, I was giving him the thumbs up. He's a kind of spectator who's on the course as many times as possible. He's probably running, you know, <laughs> nearly a half marathon for, for my marathon just to try to see me as, in as many places as possible. So I have like the pictures of me giving him the thumbs up, like, you know, flexing my arms at him and just having a smile on my face. And I ended up running a 230 I want to say 234 there, which is crazy. That's a nine, you know, nine minutes from, from now, but, um, cross the finish line. My mom, uh, my, about my entire life has been, had been really sick and she had, um, some autoimmune diseases that really made her life really unpredictable. And it was hard for her to decide, like, she never knew if the next day was going to be a good day or not. So I didn't know if she was going to be there or not Cross the finish line. I am in just shock and awe that I got not only an Olympic trials qualifier, but I had gotten an A standard, which was, which was huge, was faster than I thought I was going to run. And I look over to my left and there's my mom standing there at the finish line. And I, I can still hear my voice shaking and with tears saying, you made it. And just hugging her and embracing with her. Um, and I always say like, you know, those, those moments and the, the time and the PR, the place, those all mean a lot of, like a lot to me, but it's, it's really the moment right after like celebrating with my family that that means a lot more. Yeah. I mean, your dad running around the course, seeing you. And wait, is that the race where you were doing the Macarena a little? Or there was one, there's some race out there somewhere where you're doing a little dance somewhere. I don't know which that one was, it was. Um, but... That was on Saturday that I was doing the Macarena <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this time around. Because <laughs> this time that's even better. Oh my God. But 
that's so great that your dad's blasting and cutting all over the course to see you. And um, so you can share those moments, you know, with him and and the positive energy, man, because, you know, look, you obviously run with huge joy um, and massive positive energy. Like you can just feel it in all the photos. I can see it. I haven't seen you run, of course, but just you can just see it. It's it's uh, it's visceral. It's, it's definitely visible. Um, and that's wonderful that you're, you know, pushing that out there um, because it's a good it's a good thing. Um, but to have that first huge moment, you know, and then I didn't realize it was that many months, you know, not that many months far apart. Cause obviously CIM is always in December and grandma's is June. So you're right. It's, it's six months, right? So it's, it's not like it's, you had a year or two to like totally dial things up. I mean, this was literally your next, your next one, right? So you went from a DNF to Olympic trials qualifier in two races. I mean, that's that's totally amazing. I hadn't even put that together until we just started talking about it. So that is literally you're you're too old, uh, too young to remember Sports Illustrated with ways to do the agony of you know the the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. They'd show somebody winning a gold medal and they'd show a skier like you know crashing off the mountain and like landing in oh, the bales of hay. But that's what their motto was. It was like the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. I mean, oh my God. I mean, a DNF. And then Olympic trials qualifier. And, and you know, you won. You know, you didn't just, it's not just Olympic trials qualifier. You won the race. That year I took fourth. Oh, my um, bad. My bad. Okay. No, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Then, then in 2021, I won. Got it. So that's 2019. So fourth, which is still like top five is crazy. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just a total massive, it's not even a breakthrough. It's your first marathon. So, yeah. okay. Maybe the first person in history that ran an Olympic trials qualifier in their first marathon, they finished, <laughs> who knows? We will have to do some research on that. It's <laughs> definitely possible. I'm pretty sure that you may be the only one is a good chance, but, um, you know, to have them there and to be, you know, in your home state, you know, totally crazy, like amazing. You know, and you know, were they out there with like signs and force and just like going bananas or I don't think so. I think it was uh just them. I mean, my family in general is already kind of bananas. They're <laughs> they're loud, they're crazy, uh, they're insane. So they don't need any signs to draw attention for sure. <laughs> Good. But we don't like bashful people, man. We want the rowdy folk. <laughs> we want the people that are living life and sharing energy and being fun. So good for them. But yeah, so what a Totally, totally amazing. And then uh, Atlanta, obviously, you got to you know go down there. Um, I was there. Um, that was like just incredible. What an experience to be there and and just see that race take place and you know kind of just be there for the whole weekend as a non runner. Usually, when I'm at these things, I'm running Boston or I'm running New York or I'm a participant. I've never been at something like that where I was literally just there to take it all in and just see all the runners and be around at all the shakeout runs and just see everybody with their, you know, elite athlete credentials on and just, it is unbelievable. Like what an experience, right? Was it like wilder than you could have imagined? Yeah. I think I was really in like kind of shock and awe just being around just so many, you know, I, at that point now have become a running nerd a little bit more so that I know, you know, I know who the elites are. So it's, was crazy to just walk past, you know, Des Linden or who, whoever, um, and just kind of be like, oh, that's, you know, I remember seeing Shalane Flanagan at like the Chick-fil-A and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and at that time I was still kind of a, you know, a, a lower tier athlete or runner. Um, but it just, I felt like so starstruck just walking around and just seeing all these amazing people. Um, 
of course I didn't have the day I was hoping for there, but that's part of it. Like you just, you know, you go to the Olympic trials and you've got to shoot your shot. And I, I missed, um, it was cold. It was windy. You were there. It was, it was a rough day for a lot of women. Um, a lot of people, I think a lot of people dropped out that day just because the conditions were so, so poor, but, um, it's, it's one of my favorite races ever in memory because of how incredibly loud it was. There was not a silent moment on that course. And it was so loud. You couldn't hear anything. It was insane. Well, that makes me happy because I lost my voice for at least two or three days. And I don't know anybody <laughs> who didn't. I mean, you, you just, you just nailed the description. Um, the loop course, windy. I'm not just going to go windy. I'm going windy as fuck. Sorry, people. I have to throw the F-bomb in there because it was crazy. I mean, it was like the wind was blowing you sideways, backwards. And it just seemed like whatever direction y'all were running in, you were running into the wind. I'm like, wait, it's not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to get a tailwind too, right? I swear going through more like the downtown Atlanta, it would be like, you'd go through an intersection and that wind would hit you so hard that from the left, your knees would hit together and then you'd make it to the next intersection and it was hitting you from the right. You just, you couldn't predict it. It was just the worst conditions ever, but wow. It like was still so much fun, even though I have never heard so much in a marathon. Yeah. That race put people in the washing machine cycle. I mean, it, it just beat the living hell out of pretty much everyone Except for the handfuls that just had a great day and and persevered and you know made the podiums and and of course some people you know it was their dream to just be there it didn't matter if they finished or not just to actually qualify and be able to be down there and be part of that whole experience is just so great for the sport and so many women qualified and you know just a huge shot in the arm for like women's running and now the standard has dropped significantly and you know there's going to be just a fact. I mean, you can just see it already. There, there will be a lot less women running this year, but there's always a lot less men running. And, you know, to me, the trials should be elite. It should be pure. It should be the time differential, the time delta between what the qualifying standard is and the winning time should really not have a very big gap. And it doesn't on the men's side. And it hugely did on the women's side last year. So I do feel like where they moved it to is going to create a way closer, you know, winning time. Again, what uh, Alephine ran and what uh, Molly ran. And I'm trying to think who was third. How am I blanking? Sally. Yes. Sally could be gone. Yes, yep. correct. Um, yeah. So you're right there on that. But I mean, it just... It's still been a huge shot in the arm for women's running, period. Um, whether they change the standard or not, um, they I just don't think they want that many men or women running in the race. I don't know how the Atlanta Track Club did it. They yeah, did it. They did it. You were there. You lived it. But yeah. I have no idea on earth they could have possibly managed that many bottles. And they did it. Uh, I mean, don't yeah. know. Crazy, That's right? the biggest thing is like the bottles, but they did it flawlessly. I think I got every single one of my bottles there amongst whatever, 600 women. That's insane. It's, it's crazy. I almost missed a bottle uh, at grandma's amongst <laughs> 30 women, you know? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Right. But you also, you also nailed the other thing. I mean, and I, I don't think you only get one chance to be in that shock and awe place, right? You only get one time, you don't, it's not like you have to go back now and you, you, you're not going to feel that way. You're just not, I mean, you're, you're part of this thing now. I mean, you're mixing it up at the top of the sport. You know, when you're showing up at a race, you're trying to win or you're, you're in the very front of the fields, like mixing it up. So you'll never have that, you know, naivety again, 
where it's like, there's Shalene or there's Tess. I mean, you probably still will. I think we all will for Shalene. For me, it's more like Joan Samuelson or some of the older athletes that I grew up with because they're just, you know, Bill Rogers, I met many times. I met Joan many times. But, you know, more of the icons are the older generation to me because they're closer to my own age. But, man, I still, every time I see Shalane or Dez, it's always like, hey, what's up? Let's get a selfie, yeah. man. You know, it's like, yeah. are you kidding me? But here's the cool thing to flip that around. You're in grandma's and you're leading the shakeout and friends of mine are there and they're all excited to meet you. Okay. So, I mean, just think about how the world is spun. So you're showing up, you're like totally fangirling and not even knowing what to do, seeing people like Shalane and a Chick-fil-A. And now people are like wanting to hang with you, come to your shakeout and meet you. So, I mean, how the hell does that feel? I just, I still don't really see my, I'm, I'm starting to, I know that I need to put myself amongst, you know, the Shalanes and, you know, the Dezes and the, the Karas, but I still don't really see myself that way. So when people get excited to see me, I'm like, oh, it's just me. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just like you. I put my pants on one leg at a time. And, you know, that's how, you know, that's how the other women are. But I still just don't quite, uh, I just don't quite see that yet in myself. And maybe I never will because I'm just, to me, it's, I feel like I'm just somebody who's going out there to have fun. I happen to be pretty good at it, uh, pretty good at running marathons, but at the end of the day, I'm gone on that starting line to, to enjoy it. I'm not out there to just, you know, kind of grin and just, or to just really grind through it and, and not show my love for the sport. Yeah. It's just cool. It's cool. It's kind of a cool full circle moment yeah, um, is, for certainly. you. I mean, just literally, cause that's, uh, Atlanta was February of 2020, right? Literally the right before COVID just blew the world up for us and yeah. killed, killed all yeah. of our races. But um, and now, you know, it's, it's only a couple of years later and, you know, and you're going back and you defend and you run, you're in your fastest time, you drop 225.01, but people are, you know, wanting to come and meet you. They want to do a selfie with you now. They want to take a picture. So it's, it's awesome that you're wholesome about it, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's the cool, unique thing about our sport that we can meet you Kipchoge, Shalane, or anybody that's going to run the same course that we're going to run. And that's just the uniqueness of our sport. There really is no other sport in the world like it. We're not going to go in the courts at Roland Garros or the French Open and start hitting balls with red clay with Rafael Nadal. We're not going to shoot jumpers with Steph Curry in the arena before him and the Celtics play, you know, tip game six. You know, we're not going to take batting practice, you know, before the game at Yankee Stadium. I and mean, we're on the same course in Boston. We're on the same course in Grandma's or CIM. Or, you're you know, running the same conditions, same, the same, yeah, the same, same race. Same. Yeah. And, you know, even, even your weekend in Atlanta, which was crazy, they had the half marathon and the marathon the next day. Sure. You know, the elites weren't racing there, but it's the exact same course. So they're running the same conditions, the same course as you. And it's, it's definitely, to me, it's, it's easily the coolest thing in our sport. Um, and I think one of the great things about the brands and, you know, you signed with Puma in January. Um, and, you know, that'd be fun point to just get into that just for a little bit. But, um, you know, the brands have a presence, right? And are they cool? Are they hip? Are they trendy? Did not how to use social? Are they good with Instagram? All that stuff's important because that's how they connect, you know, and get people involved. Like, hey, man, I'll run in Puma sneakers or I'll run in the Vaporfly. Like a lot of it is, you know, what kind of cool advertising they're doing or what athletes are they signing or whatever. So for Puma coming to you, and signing with them in January, what did that mean to you? And, you know, how did that all go down? Like, how did it feel? Yeah. So um, about a year earlier, I hate to reiterate everything. I reached out to Howie Management 
And I said, I was a 230 marathoner at that time. Um, and I said, Hey, I know that I'm not necessarily somebody who is going to get a shoe contract right now, but I'm going to be, I want to bet on myself again, get on board. This is going to happen. This will pay off for you. So I've been working with Howie for a while now. Um, and that I think I was around, it would have been sometime in December that I was sitting at my desk right, right here. I was doing my work. I was a housing advocate, um, because running doesn't necessarily, most of the time does not pay the bills. Um, and so I was doing my, you know, my 30 hour week job and I get an email from Howie and it, the title said Puma offer. And I didn't even open the email before I called my dad bawling my eyes out. Cause I knew what it meant. I knew that I, he, they could have been offering me, you know, $5 and a stick of gum, but I was immediately like, yes, we're going to do this because my whole career has been people just taking, just betting on me and saying, Hey, I know you're not there yet, but you, you're going to work hard and you're going to be. So for Puma to step up and say, Hey, we see the potential. I bawled my eyes out. I remember just calling my dad and he was like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, I am going to get a professional contract. It's happening. Um, Cause it doesn't happen for everybody. It doesn't happen for the majority of elite runners. Um, so it just means a lot that they, they sought me out and they said, Hey, I, we can see the potential here. I love it. And uh, again, but it, you know, it's important that you share that other piece too, because you know, reaching out to Howie Management, um, that's what it takes again. You there's no one who's going to advocate for you like you can yourself. And it may not be comfortable at all. It, it, in fact, it's not. Um, it's scary. It's, there's, there's nothing comfortable. There's nothing comfortable about it. Okay, you're you're literally just reaching out there like cold, you know, cold call city. Like, yeah. hey, take a chance on me, man. Bet mm -hmm. on me. Give give me a chance, you know. And you know what? That's what it takes um, because they have to feel your drive and your passion and your spirit. And you know, you're not saying, hey, I'm you know I'm here and you know that's it. You're saying I'm I'm good. I'm going to keep going. You know, and somebody's either going to feel that or believe it, and then they're going to pop on your social, and they're going to look at your feed, and they're going to see a little bit of who you are. And they're going to be like, "Yeah, man, let's bet on Dakota. I'm in." Um, so, but that's what it takes. You know, it's not the other way around. And I think that's such an important piece of the story. And I'm so happy we're getting into this detail because people have this misconception, like it all goes the other way. Like you run the 234 at grandma's, you get an OTQ, and then all of a sudden the offers are all flooding in. Uh, no, doesn't work that way. Um, nope. Maybe once in a million it works that way for somebody, but 99.99% of the rest of the time, it's good old fashioned. You got to promote yourself. You got to be reaching out. So you got involved with a good management company. They do really good work. Um, you know, they represent Rory and some tons of other runners and, and do a terrific job, you know, not just marathon runners, but all sorts of runners in track and field and, you know, Absolutely. yeah. Mm -hmm. So great organization. And, um, and they helped, you know, they helped you, uh, connect the dots and pull that together. And I think the brand is doing great, man. I I'm a big fan of the fast R shoe. I love that bad boy. And uh, I can't wait for the new colorway to drop. They got orange, one, orange ones coming out. I'm, I'm all yes. about orange, man. I'm all about Team Orange and running an orange yeah, stuff. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be really exciting for that. And I was also just, um, just to touch on, just to like pump up Puma for a second. They also signed my teammate Annie Frisbee and um, Sarah Vaughn at the same time. So for them to take on three American marathoners was was really great, and especially for them all to be women. It's, it is more common that women aren't represented by a brand. Um, 
So it was really great. I was really excited that they were taking such an interest in women. I love it. And, you know, so my ask of you, since they're your teammates, is Annie and Sarah got to come on. They're coming on, too. They got to yeah. come on and share their stories, man, because I know uh, a um, Annie did great in New York City, right? She was seventh, I think, overall. I think that sounds right. She, she ran at 226. Yeah, yeah. I know she was talking. That, that was her debut. That oh, was her first marathon. I did not 226. know. 226. I did not know that. I know she was set. I'm pretty positive she was seventh. And Sarah, um, all, she was CIM, had a great race at CIM, right? Yeah. She also ran 226 in her debut at CIM and won it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's the 226, 226, 225 club. You, yeah. Look, yeah, at, yeah. look, yeah. At, look at you three. All yeah, right. and then we've got Molly. She's a 224 girl. So yeah. we've got a, an impressive little crew. I like it. What a crew. What a crew. And you know what? That kind of running and all you're all going to drive each other, you know, competitively. Um, and you may not be in the same areas of the country to actually train with, but you can all feed off each other and who's doing what. And, um, you know, the brand is going to get you know, further involved. You know, I was up at Boston and they had the pop-up up there, which was great. Um, I don't know if you were there, but um, was, you know, at the yeah. pop-up, yeah. I mean, and that was great. I mean, I thought that was really cool. They had Molly's shoes in there from the Olympics and um, they had people from the company there. And that's where I saw the orange colored, you know, Fast R, the new one that's going to drop. And I was like, I need I need to get my hands on those bad boys. So <laughs> yeah, good stuff. But I'm, I'm excited. I think it's a great brand for you to be connected with. And there's there no question that they're putting emphasis on women's running at all. And hopefully they'll get involved with sponsoring, you know, some races and doing doing some other stuff like that, which would, which would only, you know, help to grow things even further. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I know that there's, I know that they're trying to get their hands on a race to, to sponsor a race. Yeah. Well, that would be cool. So we have to, we got to get the, the 411 on the race. Um, you know, I mean, to, to have such a breakthrough to run, you know, s- drop your time so significantly, you know, 12 fastest, you know, give us some, Give us some, you know, play by play of the race, how it came, how it played out. You know, what was it like? Um, how competitive was it? You know, how were you feeling out there? Just, just take us through it. Yeah. So we had a, just a phenomenal weather day. Duluth, Grandma's Marathon always is known to have pretty good weather, but it was about 50 degrees. We had a north um, east wind, which was a tailwind the whole time, um, or roughly a tailwind. The gun went off and... I was immediately surrounded with Sarah Sellers. She took second at the 2018 Boston. Um, Esther, I'm her last name is slipping my mind, but then Molly Bookmeyer, who's kind of been on a tear. And us four kind of worked together for at least the first uh, three or four miles. And it was kind of great to just have a bunch of women to kind of feed off of and work off of. And we went out pretty hot. I think we were on 222 pace for about the first five miles. Um, slowly Sarah Sellers dropped back, um, at about mile 10, Molly Bookmeyer started dropping back. It was just me and Esther and she wasn't being very aggressive. I was definitely the one in the lead kind of pushing the pace, which is not surprising to me because that's just how I race. I want to, I want to be the one in control. I don't want to have to match the surges. I want to be the one setting the surges. That just is better for me mentally, physically. And I was just having the time of my life. It was so much fun. Um, the first part of grandma's I love because it's very quiet. You're running through the woods. You're by Lake Superior. It's beautiful. And then somewhere around like 16, Esther finally st- started dropping back. And I loved working with her. And it was really fun. But at that time, I was fu- like, kind of like, finally, like, I want to win this thing. 
please leave me alone. Get back there. <laughs> um, I wanted control and I wanted to, to just, I wanted to win. So I just wanted her to finally break. And at 18, the lead vehicle yelled back to me and said, Hey, you're five seconds under the course record held by Kellen Taylor. Um, so I knew I was really, really close and that I had a shot, but in that moment, I was kind of, if you've run a marathon, you know how it goes. You have like these really great moments where you're on top of the world. And then all of a sudden you hit a slump and I was kind of in a slump at that moment. And when they yelled that back to me, I remember smiling, giving them a thumbs up, but thinking to myself, there is no way I can do that. Like I am not going to hold on. And I looked to my left. And if you've run grandma's or you know anything about Duluth, they have this beautiful lift lift bridge. Um, it's very iconic to the race. And I drink from a coffee cup every single morning. That's got a picture of that lift bridge on it. And I thought to myself, like it was just too coincidental that I was thinking that while looking at the bridge. And I thought to myself, you know what? Screw that kind of mindset. I'm not going to sit here and tell myself I can't, you know, and just want to be candid that I still have those crazy thoughts of telling myself no. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to attack these next couple of miles and see what happens. And I, I did, I think I was running like some two twenty fives in there and ended up getting under the course record, um, I was under the course record at mile 24 by 20 seconds. I was ahead of the record and was going through um, Canal Park, kind of like the the downtown of Duluth. I was doing the Macarena, which everybody loved. They were playing the music. So I'm like, of course, I'm going to join in with everybody. (laughs) Um, And people just get really excited. And that's just the way I race. I like to be involved and smile at the fans and get them excited. But in those last two miles, I really, really fell apart. I've never experienced something in a race like this where in a marathon, usually your legs start to lock up, your quads get heavy, your your calves feel like bricks. But I felt good the entire time until mile 25, in which case I didn't feel bad. I just couldn't feel my legs. Every step was like, am I, I was legitimately concerned that I was going to fall because I had no control over my like lower, lower torso. And even if you see my finished line video, my like steps across when I'm trying to stop, you can see that I am just like, a, a I'm like Bambi taking my first steps. Um, but I, so I ended up not, I, my last mile was a six ten after averaging, you know, like five, like basically five thirties for the whole race. Um, and I ended up losing, not getting that course record because of that last mile. But like I said before, there's always going to be another mountain. I'm, there's always going to be something else to chase and it'll give me something to go for next year. But, uh, from start to finish, I have never felt so good in a marathon. I don't think I really had any physical low points of like, Oh, my calf is cramping or, Oh, my quads are just on fire. Um, I just had the most fun that I've ever had in a race. And I was just beyond excited. If you've seen a finish line video or picture up to cross that finish line first. Awesome recap. Totally awesome. My favorite part of the show are when people bring us out there, man. So I say, take us out there, man. You just did. Take us out there. I have not run grandma's, but I have tons of friends who have. Um, and I've seen lots of, you know, YouTube shots of the course and other things over the years. And again, many of my friends have run it, but you know, what an awesome experience. Uh, 
and yeah, you know, so you were mixing it up for a while. You had some some real company. And then at 16, you know, you had your break and yeah, oh my God, could I feel you? I would just be like, I don't want it. If I was at your ability and I could somehow, you know, be on that level, which I'm not and never was. But if I was, I'd be like, yeah, same, please go, please go away. Uh, can yeah. I, can I just be here by myself now? Or I want to yeah. set the pace. I want to set the tempo. I don't need anyone else to do it. So same, same, same. And, um, you know, and just, uh, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. I thank you for sharing because it is highs and lows. Even when you win the race and you run your fastest time ever, there's no such thing. There's no marathon on earth that ever happens or will ever happen to anyone where they got out there and ran all the way through and something didn't happen. There are moments of where we're going to question ourselves. We're going to, we're going to doubt ourselves. Even when they're telling you you're four seconds off the course record, that should be a moment like, yes, a positive moment. It wasn't a positive moment at that point. Of course it wasn't because you're not feeling good at that moment. If you were, it would have been the opposite. But either way, you did rally. You still turned it around. You actually got 20 seconds ahead anyway. So you dug in deep, man. You dug in deep. You know, I mean, totally wild guess. No one will ever know, but maybe electrolytes were just a little off at the end, you know, with, with your legs feeling like that. I mean, you, you know, your saw could have just gotten really low, you know, like the conditions were good. The temperature was good and all, but man, you're going deep, man, 225 and you were dropping your pace late in the race, you know, four of those miles, you know, 22, 23, 24 or 21, 22, 23, you're dropping, you know, big time. Even if your pace per mile is only five seconds faster or 10 seconds faster, there's no one on earth who's ever run a marathon and doesn't know. You feel like you're running 30 seconds faster or 45 seconds faster because that's how much the effort actually costs us to do that, right? And then, you know, it doesn't help to feel like your legs are not going to hold you up. You know, <laughs> as you're coming in, I did not see the video. I'll have to see the video, man. Hopefully you didn't look like you were going to keel over because I just saw a lot of smiles. I saw a lot of smiles. I saw a lot of happy shots and I heard all kinds of stuff about the Macarena. So I'm sure somebody <laughs> out there has got a video clip of that. I'll have to hunt that down for sure. I, uh, they but, actually have the whole video, or, the whole race up on YouTube. And I have watched it because I, I am a steward of the sport. I want to see how I look. I want to see how, you know, where I could start to feel my body breaking down. Um, and yes, they do have the Macarena. I was lucky enough that they got that on camera. So everybody can, can enjoy my short little dance, but, um, but yeah, so they definitely have it out on YouTube. Great stuff. I think Puma needs to use that in their next campaign for sure. <laughs> Come on, man. You're already a signed athlete. I mean, let's get to work. I mean, yeah. at least they got to get some reels up, man, and get some, get the Macarena music going, man. That'll, that'll get a every, good idea. That'll drive. <laughs> Come on, man. This is, I'm a marketing guy, man. This is what I do for a living, man. This is, that's easy, <laughs> man. Come on, man. Give me some tight shots and in and out. We'll get the Macarena music going. Yeah, there you go. Put a hat on absolutely. you, you know, get the, get some yeah, kind of exactly. cool hat, absolutely. you know, while you're running through, of course, with a Puma logo of some sort, you know, it's, yeah. I, I see a future in it for sure. Good stuff. But, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. What was the post race celebration like with the family, you know, cause now it's back to back, but it isn't just back to back, just like completely destroying your PR, like just, you know, just going so far outside yourself, even though you believed you were going to do it and could do it, you still hadn't done it. So it's yeah. still, you finally are validating what you and your coach 
think you're going to do based on how you've been running, how workouts have gone, et cetera. But, you know, until you actually do it, and this is a case of breaking the tape, it's not crossing the line in Boston for me or anyone else where the mat yeah. timing mats go off. This is like breaking the tape. So what was it like? It was awesome. I crossed the line, kind of did a little celebration and my grandpa was there and he's never watched me race before. He has a hard time um, walking and where the race ends in Duluth is, is certainly a walk from where you have to park. Um, so we embraced in a long hug, cried our eyes out. Um, and then I have just a, like a pretty special memory of seeing my coach for the first time and hugging him. Cause after Boston, when I came up, so sh not so short, but short with a 229 there, the first thing I said is I'm sorry, I'm going to get it next time. Not that he ever has ever put like any real pressure on me to, to do well, but it's tough when he's, he, like, I'm working really hard for him because I know that my success is, you know, in, you know, it's good for him too. And it's good for his, like, he puts in all this hard work. I want him to feel that success too. So I remember right after Boston being like, I'm sorry, I'm going to get it next time. Not that he was disappointed, but, um, so to see him and just be like, yes, we, we finally did it. Like, this is, this is what your hard work has done. And obviously I have to do, he has to give me the work, but I have to do it. But so to have this like teamwork of just, and it finally just paying off, I was really excited to see him. And I, I really hope that that was a good moment for him too. I'm sure it was. Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, it, yeah. these are, these shared moments are everything. I mean, you know, writing out those plans and, you know, trying to figure out how far, you know, he can try to get you to reach in, in this area, in that area, and putting it all together. It, it It's like a, a great chef or a great baker yeah. or whatever, because, you know, there's so much risk, you know, when you're tweaking one end of this, you know, formula, if you will, this recipe cycle after cycle and not knowing, you know, hey, if we go this far, you know, this could lead to that or whatever. Um, so, yeah sometimes the smallest little incremental changes, because what you're doing is obviously working already. You know, you, you can see, you know, that, that big success has come. Um, but just great that you all got to have those moments and grandpa and everything were there and, and family were there and uh, you guys all got to celebrate it. So, so totally awesome stuff. Um, what's I mean, what do you have next as far as a big race? I mean, obviously you're going to recover and you're going to enjoy it. And now you're going to journal because I gave you some homework. Um, yes. but what's, what's next? So I'm going to do a local 5k on the track. I've never broke 16 in a 5k. So that is on my to-do list, uh, leading up to grandma's. I ran 1601 like three weeks before. So I just, I really want to check that box. So it's like we were saying earlier, it's like that number you like, I just need to run 1559 and I'll be happy. But, um, after that, it sounds like I'll probably do the Falmouth, Falmouth uh, road race, um, the 20 K and then I do have a fall marathon totally scheduled, but I'm not quite allowed to say it yet. Yep. Still secret under wraps. Yep. Uh, so yeah, but you can definitely see me in a big, big, uh, marathon this fall. That is awesome. Um, and, and a bunch of ways. So yeah, I know how it works. So you can't, can't announce it yet. Um, and a lot of guests are on and, and we go through that. So we know it, uh, but Falmouth, my man, uh, Ben Flanagan has won it twice. So he's been on the show twice. Oh, Ben's awesome. an awesome guy. You got to meet Ben and his, uh, fiance. Good, good people. Um, they're so into the community up there. He's from Canada, but he's just, they've just adopted him in Falmouth because he's won the race twice. And there's very few people that can actually say they've won that race twice the way you've won grandma's twice. Cause 
Falmouth is, I mean, everybody yes, again from that's Bill. That's a competitive race. Yeah, I mean, so. Alberto Salazar, Bill Rogers, I mean, Joan Samuelson, I mean, you know, you name it. It's like the longest list of elites and pros over the history of time have gone there. It's a great course and you're, you're going to love it. I mean, it's just a beautiful beach beach uh, to hang, spend a couple extra days if you can, um, either before or after the race, just to enjoy it a little bit, you know, enjoy your time there before or after the race. I think you'll like it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then fall marathon. So that's big. And, uh, and hopefully it's somewhere around me. I hope for my, uh, you know, for my <laughs> sake, it might be, who knows, you know, there's only so many great fall marathons, but you know, it could also be, you know, another one we'll see, but whatever it is, we'll be rooting for you for sure. And anybody who listens to run chats, will definitely be rooting for you. So one question I ask every guest is darkest hole they've ever dug out of and how? That is such a good question. The darkest hole I've ever dug out of and how? I feel like it's it's hard to, to say which hole in a marathon has been the hardest just because, you know, they're all so different and they happen at different times. Um, but I... I don't know if I can necessarily name one moment in a marathon that was the most difficult, but my way to always kind of dig out of a, a hole like that is to put a smile on my face, which is, you'll know that from seeing any of my race photos is I'm always smiling. And part of that is because I'm living my dream and I am loving what I'm doing more than anything. This is everything I could have imagined, but also there are plenty of um, studies done that show that if you're smiling, even if you're not enjoying what you're doing, it does trick your brain into thinking that you do. And it's a total easy mental trick that I would um, challenge any marathon or any person who's racing to do during their race. If you're not feeling the greatest smile, and not only is that helping trick your brain, you're also going to get the crowd really excited. And for me anyway, when the crowd gets louder, when you can hear them audibly get louder than they just were, that like gives me so much adrenaline and gets me so excited that I, I think that that's like the easiest mental trick ever to pull yourself out of a dark hole. That's great. Great advice for sure. Because we have to try to turn those situations around any way we can. And, um, you know, Ryan's book about run the mile you're in and all that stuff that you talked about. These are all strategies. Dina Castor's book's amazing about positive affirmations and all that. But I thought one thing to be really fun to share on that same kind of note was your Boston experience. Um, because, oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. for me, you know, like, and we talked a little about before we came on the air before we went live with the show. Um, and it's the nature of the sport, right? I mean, you have a contract, you're a professional runner, um, there's, you know, there are going to be times when you just can't finish a race. I mean, and in your case, CIM ended up happening to be your very first race and you're not a pro at that point. You're not signed. You hadn't even run a marathon. So like, it's not relevant to the story, but the Boston one really is because if an elite runner, a pro runner who's under contract is really struggling, you know, has a bad hamstring, has a bad cramp, has a real issue out on the course, you know, I can't tell you the percentage, but I'm willing to bet it's close to 99%. If it's really a bad issue, they're they're stepping off the course um, for a lot of reasons. A, they got to live to fight another day. B, there are professional. There's always going to be another marathon that their agent, like how he can get you in to another race. If it's something that maybe isn't huge versus something that is. But your experience with Boston is just something I would love for you to share because, you know, I know, like, I feel like it can have an impact for so many more people that way beyond the professional arena, just for age group runners as well. 
Yeah. So I, um, going into like mile 18 at Boston, I was on pace for 225.10. Um, I was really having a pretty good day there finally, which I ran Boston in 20, let's see, 2021, the fall edition of Boston. Really did not have a great day there. Ended up blowing up. Came back for the 2022 edition in the spring, the normal time of year. And I just really wanted some revenge and ended up having a really great first 18 miles there. Um, But at 18, you crest this little hill and my calf cramped up. I've never had anything like that in my life. I've never cramped up in a race that way where it was like, it was like when you get a Charlie horse in the middle of the night and it's like, it's not like just, it hurts a little bit. It's like your, it feels like your whole calf is going to just disconnect from your leg. And I actually ended up walking um, like a good, like maybe five or six steps just to try to loosen it up and then had to just rebound and, and jog it out a little bit. I ended up, I could push, I, when I pushed the pace a little bit too fast, especially when it was downhill, it seemed like it immediately, I could feel it seizing up again, but there was after that CIM experience, there's just no way, no how, if I can put one foot in front of the other, I'm going to finish a race. Like to what you're saying, if you're listening to this, I don't want you to be so headstrong that if you're, you know, if you break a foot, yes, step off the course. Like there's no reason to do worse damage, but when it was something that I could handle, it wasn't getting worse as long as I was maintaining, you know, kind of holding myself back a little bit. Um, I'm going to finish every single time because there is no disappointment, like knowing that you stepped off the course when you could have finished physically. Yeah. I love that. Um, and again, everyone has to make their own decisions out there. So I'm I'm not just the motto of the show is stay in the fight. So yeah, of course, I'm going to advocate for that in all areas of your life, not just marathon running, just when things get hard, you know, you don't throw in the towel, don't give up, figure out what can you do differently? How can you maybe redirect your efforts? Uh, in your case, you had to slow down, you know, you had to ease off, you know, if the downhills were worse versus the uphills. Um, and you know, you were in the middle of the uphill sections there, you know, after the firehouse. So you have a bunch, you know, you were, you weren't done. You had a bunch of hills to navigate there. And then you have to blast down Cleveland circle, which is a huge, huge downhill, um, before it kind of levels, you know, back out again. So I just think, you know, I just wanted to make sure we shared that because again, you know, most pros, huge percentages of pros, they're just going to step off in that race and say, okay, I, I was on pace for 25. no. You know, you, you let go of whatever you could have run at that point, but you wanted to finish and you did finish. And I think it's important for you that you did finish, you know, because, you know, if you didn't, then in the back of your mind, then maybe you have two that you didn't. And, you know, maybe it starts becoming a thing where if you have a hard day, some other time, you know, we don't know our brains are so damn powerful. So you don't want to create a habit out of it It is exactly like to your point is exactly. I'm never going to drop out of a race again that I can physically finish. Wow. Awesome. Kudos to you for, for staying in the fight. Yeah. Uh, and last place for us to close it is uh, community service. You know, anything that's like important to you that you're trying to do outside of hosting shakeout runs and meeting other runners at races and all of those good things that, you know, you're going to want to do anyway. And Puma's going to want you to do as you continue to grow and your presence uh, grows in the sport. Yeah. So um, I actually coach high school cross country. I think that that's my best way to get back to this sport. Um, just because. I hope that I can be the Andy forward for somebody else who's just, I, you know, our cross country team, we have a great group of girls and I, nobody is, you know, necessarily making state or anything, but 
I like to look at them and think like, that was me. I just want to create this atmosphere that is really, really fun and really enjoyable for them so that, you know, maybe they go on and they, they reach out to a college coach and, you know, maybe, you know, someday they win the grandma's marathon. Like you don't know where it's, it's going to lead. So, um, I think that's the best way that I, I can give back right now is just to inspire these girls to, to have fun and take shot, you know, bet on themselves and, and just enjoy running, even if it does end up just being something that they do for a lifelong way to stay healthy. Wonderful. Love to hear, you know, that you're uh, trying to pay that forward and follow uh, how some of the lessons Andy taught you and, and, you know, welcome runners, get involved, you know, encourage them and uh, get them involved in our sport. And last is just, you know, you shared some amazing stuff and I'm just so stoked that you came on so close after the race and shared all of the great things, uh, you know, on your running journey, because it's literally an amazing story. Um, and one that I'm just so excited to get to hear you tell me and then share it with, uh, with our followers. But is there anything as we close out, uh, before we sign off, like a message you might want to leave with any of the runners or anybody who might be listening to the show? I, uh, I'll said it about five times. I'll say it again, just bet on yourself, you know, be the, be your first advocate for sure. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on Dakota. Really enjoyed the convo and I know it will inspire lots of runners and we sign off every show telling every runner to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was so fun. How can you not root for Dakota? She has this positive infectious energy um, not only in conversation when discussing running or life in general, but certainly when she's out racing on the course, rocking the Macarena at mile 24 plus en route to a four minute PR for her, 225.01, 12 fastest women's American marathon time ever. And she's just running with huge joy and it's infectious. And for friends of mine who are out there at grandma's that made it to her shakeout, they just raved about how much fun it was to meet her and the great energy she shared um, with everybody, helping them to relax before their big days taken on grandma. So um, what a treat to have her on just a few days after winning the race and getting her to share her experiences. Um, such a non-traditional path to get to the level that she's at. And I certainly just enjoy an opportunity to dive in deep and share an, just an amazing inspirational story like Dakota's with the Run Chats audience. So I hope you all find so many takeaways from this one. I know I did, and I hope uh, you give her a follow and can just feed off of her tremendous positive energy and root for her moving forward as she takes on bigger and better things in the future. Um, if you enjoy it as much as I think you will, if you can take that extra step to take a moment to hop on Apple Podcasts, write a quick review, give it a rating, share it on Instagram stories or wherever else, Facebook, um, to help other people hear Dakota's amazing story. It really helps us get new listeners to run chats. And most importantly, it really makes it much easier for me to get great uh, pro athletes to come on and share their stories uh, with the Run Chats audience. So uh, appreciate every single one of you who's listening, who's taking those steps and helping us grow our platform and our base. It means the world to me. Uh, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>